Welcome to the Guardian Group podcast series. The Guardian Group, providing extraordinary solutions to today's exceptional problems. Hello, podcast fans. Welcome to another edition of the Guardian Group podcast series. Today, we're going to talk about, talk about microelectronics, nanoelectronics, and how the industry is moving forward. Uh, again, I'm joined by my colleague, Rick Murat from Toronto, Canada. How you doing, Rick? Not bad, Todd. It's a very nice fall day here in Toronto. The leaves are changing color. It's a beautiful time of year to see all the different colors and nice little breeze and the sun bringing you warmth. It's just just like our industry. It's it's an exciting time. Absolutely. Same thing here. Weather's uh, good for another day or so. So we're going to talk about microelectronics. That seems to be a buzzword nowadays where the industry is moving. Uh, for me and Rick, uh, we go back to when the Great Pyramids were being built, when we had macroelectronics. And what I mean by that is when we were all dealing with pin and hole type technology, when all uh, SIPs and SIMs and resistors, capacitors were all wires, all went into pin and hole, gigantic boards. I'm sure you remember all that, Rick. That's so true, Todd. I, who would have thought of they create a, something called a SMT or surface mount pad? And back then, it was all component leads that went into holes in these gigantic boards with gigantic electrical testers. Sometimes we had comparison tests. Sometimes we were just on the, the brink of bringing in something called a netlist test. It was interesting then. But yep, even more interesting now. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 like you mentioned that, I go back into uh, the mid to late 80s when I remember seeing service mount technology the first time. And back then we were taking just basically diazo films and digitizing them on a table to create drill files for the pin and hole technology. And then all of a sudden this one group who I won't name, but uh, they make a lot of electrical meters. But uh, all of a sudden, their films came in with these little rectangle pads and square pads that didn't match up on both sides. And like, what is this? And that was surface mount. So that was the beginning and big testers, 100 mil grids and all that. And then we got into what we call micro is when we started seeing the SMT technology and SIP, and SIP technology packages going into 50 mil centers. And we thought that was tough back then. And... uh now it's even, you know, gone a lot farther than that. So, Todd, what always amazes me is that even when we change from through-hole technology into surface mount into um, uh, microelectronics, the industry seems to find a solution across the board. The industry is very resilient. It, it finds solutions, and it comes up with solutions across the board. It's very interesting. Um, especially with our history. I'm very excited to figure out what the solution is for uh, microelectronics. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, today's, you know, implementation that we see on a daily basis, which uh, augments the microelectronics world, as we're seeing, you know, the blind and buried vias, which have been around for a long time, but we're seeing now the via in pad with the HDI stuff, and we have buried passives now that include uh, inductors and capacitors and resistors, which have been around for a long time, but we're now 
seeing capacitance actually buried in there and even inductance, which I, I think is pretty exciting myself. And then with all this VN pad technology, the sequential laminations with the blind and bury microbias, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. So even they talk about HDI, now there are even buzzwords out there, ultra HDI. And I'm still getting my hands around or my head around HDI and the microns, you know. So, I mean, we were talking about some challenges that we're facing out there today. You know, manufacturing, the big thing is uh, line and space challenges for the new component footprints and things like that. Uh, Material challenges for high-speed signal transmissions, uh, tighter requirements, supply chain issues. I mean, we really got into that not necessarily because of the HDI and, and microelectronics, but that COVID thing put a pretty good stop in the supply chain, which is starting to recover. And then, of course, we all know, you know, the loss of market share uh, when a lot of outsourcing or offshoring happened. And, you know, maybe, Rick, you can talk a little bit about how the onshoring and offshoring switcheroo is kind of happening and kind of how that makes a challenge for us here in the North Americas and Europe. Well, we all know, Todd, in uh, early 2000s, as you mentioned, uh, we had a lot of, even North America here, we had 12, 1300 board shops in around that range. And we're down just to a small handful uh, of uh, board shops. And it, it's been a big change. And they, in Asia, especially in Taiwan, they, they grew, they, adopted to the smaller technology, the micro, the HDI very quickly throughout some with some growing pains, but they managed to produce this stuff in high volume at low low cost. They sure have. I mean you just take the iPhone for example. I mean that's just one of many, you know, examples. Yeah, we can't even build that on the well we could build small prototype stuff in the on the u.s soil but there again nothing in volume right and some of the some of the chips because they're working on fixing this but some of the chips you can't even do the technology here in north america or europe it's all in asia right right but we see some of this some of the the government lobbying the government governments does pay off you see some of this starting to come back um you know, with the fab shops moving here, some big spending on the government sides, all gov- all levels of government. Like if we talk North America, the U.S. government leading the way, of course. And then a little bit from Canadian and the European Union is starting to have a chip act as well. They all, we all need this technology. But along with this technology, we need somewhere to put the chips. Chips as... Um, they say they don't float. They have to go on something, some sort of connection device. Right. Right. I mean, I definitely like you see the American soil, but yeah, I don't want to discount the advances and and uh, contributions of the you know the Canadian and Europe markets. Without them, we wouldn't have a consortium to try to push where we're trying to get on sourcing and such. You know, an electrical test uh, here in the North Americas. I mean, I'm going to be the first to admit. You know, as far as testing some of this stuff that's over in Asia, we're far behind. Our older equipment struggle with these kind of designs without coming up with really, uh, I would say, creative solutions. Uh, we have fly, flying probe challenges because you know, over here, flying probe is not necessarily 
your best solution for high volume, uh, the kind of commercial volume that we're talking about. And then, you know, educating customers is a big thing that you and I talk about a lot uh, on the requirements and what test options are available and even allowed, you know, for certain types of product. Yeah, that's correct, Todd. That's correct. I know that in Asia, they have still used, you and I remember back when in the 80s and the 90s, we started building fixtures, we, we did something called wire wrap. Oh, wrap. absolutely. That was the term. Uh, a lot of people use the term clamshell or, you know, wire wrap fixtures because all we had was single-sided grids at 100 mil and, you know, doing a double-sided board now with SMT on both sides. Yeah, you had to do a lot of wiring. And uh, that tech, that here over here, except for functional fixtures and such, which is a different story, um, that art is kind of kind of lost here to specialty shops like our guy Steven there in uh, Denver. But when you travel to Asia, you see many, many shops have uh, dedicated fixtures. Yeah, there's some different technologies out there where they use um, a spring, some sort of contact spring with a wire on the end of it that does the connection with you put a test pin on top of it. Uh, sometimes you just have a receptacle where you put the test pin in. Sometimes you just you just kind of bond to the bottom of the pin because you're going down 20 microns. So yeah, you're the, going. Go ahead. So the the technology is there, and now they're flirting around with 50 micron fixtures. I don't know how they're ever going to get that to work, Todd. But that stuff is in Asia. It's not in North America or Europe yet, but it could be. Yeah, I mean, it's technology is going to keep going. The solutions we'll come up with, I mean, we'll keep going at it. And uh, in time, we'll get there. So with density development, I'll let Rick kind of talk about this a little bit. Where with our fixture testers, we had, you know, we talked about back in the 80s and all the way up into, oh, maybe into the late 90s we were at 100 mil grids but then when we got into the 2000s we actually started being able to get a little bit better at that so why don't you walk us through a timeline a little bit about fixture density or fixture tester densities yeah so we were just talking about dedicated fixtures um after dedicated fixtures we started with a 100 mil grid uh universal it's a little bit more cost efficient Right, that, that was our... So single. then we upgraded, we put more test points in a, in a little square area. Todd mentioned a 100 mil grid. So every 100 mils, there was a test point, both in the X and the Y. And then from there, we kind of migrated a little bit smaller. We did something called the double density where we did the X and Y on 100 mils and then put a test point in the middle and called that kind of double density. And then now... We have 50 mil, so the spacing in the X and Y is 50 mil. And then from there, it progressed smaller down. Like there's 40 mils, there's 35 mils, uh, 24 mils, and I think 22 mils or 23 mils, all trying to get more test points in the little square inch area or a little square area because the boards got smaller. 
So as the boards got smaller, we had to translate from the PCB to the universal grid tester to try and utilize the grid. We needed more points, test points per square inch in order to accommodate it. And we got down to about, right now we sold some machines that are 22 mils or, or 12 density is what we call it. But anything after that at this time, uh, we're going down to a dedicated fixture where you're wiring it in directly to the test point on the PCB. So it's it's evolved a lot, Todd. If you think about, we were at 100 mils. Basically, this was in the, the 90s. And now we're down to less than a quarter of that. Great. I mean, it's an astonished, uh, astonishing growth curve or following the technology curve, I should say, because now... Like Rick said, with the commercial stuff that we're doing uh, that's being done over in Asia, I mean, we're talking wire technology that's down, you know, depending on who you are. I don't have a lot of up on top, but, I mean, we're getting down to human hair size of uh, test pins and wires to accommodate some of this. The designs keep getting smaller, and, you know, the design guys can do it, but, you know, they got to remember that design for manufacturing, if they get too far into the curve, we start getting in trouble and that's one of the challenges that's going on here in the North Americas and Europe because we're to be honest we're we're behind in a lot of places of that curve to be able to handle that technology so you know when we talk about the older fixture testers even though they do have a niche still in certain markets you know some of the newer technologies require some higher density equipment and some of these uh and and with higher, should I say, with the commercial volumes, you know, automation is another key. So we talk about automation. We have large platform equipment out there that we can take care of these higher densities. Some of these are going to be wired, like uh, Rick was talking about. So some of these, Rick, why don't you kind of give me a little bit more of the information that you know on these higher density machines and the cameras and the, automatic alignments and things certainly todd certainly so <clears throat> as the boards got smaller we had adopted different types of universal fixtures it's fixture technology change depending on what kind of package you're looking for you can get a quad density machine for example that has ccd cameras they capture the fiducials on the pcb and then move the pcb to to fixture tooling pins around to accommodate any kind of manufacturing shift um, by piece by piece. Um, there's there's boards out there. If we talk about flip chip ones that are designed, they basically move the fixture to the board and step the board around the um, single image at a time because the fixtures are very costly. If you're talking about a 20 micron fixture, it's going to have a price of about eight to twelve dollars per test point depending on uh, the whole number of test points but you take that whole thing on a shuttle and step it through the machine uh, one image at a time to save cost and money it's still more efficient than doing on a flying probe when you get the higher volume so they're there they come in different sizes different densities um, different step automation types. Some of them have arms, some of them have shuttle solutions. There's a wide range of uh, different things, but to meet 
the biggest thing is to meet whatever the demand is of the manufacturer. I totally agree, you know, and then we start talking about uh, what our solutions are out there uh, for manufacturing. A lot of it has to do with changing of the mindsets, I think, here to compete with the offshore markets, uh, you know, promoting and lobbying for the onshoring of the lost revenue is a, is a big solution for the future. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, the CHIP Act that the U.S. has got going, increased inventory of critical micro and nano, nano electronic parts, and that you know goes as well for the Canadian market and, and Europe as well. Uh, solutions that our, our North American people need to reevaluate their manufacturing capability for the advanced technology. I mean, North America and Europe, you know, we kind of missed the transition and we lag behind that technology curve a little bit, not to be mean to anybody, but, you know, the facts are the facts. You just look at where the commercial work went. Um, do you have any more to add on, on the manufacturing side, challenges or solutions for the future? No, I think we had a, we pretty much got it covered. I think, like you mentioned, the CHIP Act, there's other organizations out there that um, are mainly dedicated to bringing back the higher-end manufacturing to the North American and European markets because we, we kind of need this technology not to be centralized in one area as we found out from COVID. So any equipment manufacturers and process manufacturer um, specialists they know what needs to be done. They maybe not have the total solution for for the ultra HD electronics, but you know we we have the micro via process. We see some people out there um, stacking multiple micro vias on on top of each other to make a whole structure. Uh, we see some companies out there that are making smaller trace widths and spacing, but doing it by plating up rather than being subtractive and um, subtracting copper away. So the, all this is playing a role. Each, each manufacturer or each solution is coming out, and it's, it's making progress, and progress is what we need, Todd. Absolutely, and uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier uh, on the reevaluating or manufacturing capability, you mentioned, you know, your 2000s, early 2000s, we had... Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of board shops in the North Americas, and it's gotten down to, you know, a handful of larger ones because some of the smaller ones either got acquired by the bigger ones for one reason or another, or, you know, it got too costly to advance or, or stay up with the technology curve that required too much capital investment and was just too hard to, uh, too hard to work with. So that's one of the reasons why we're seeing uh, you know, the loss of uh, manufacturing shops. The electrical test, you know, solutions for the future, we also need to reevaluate equipment used in the North American and Europe markets to align better with these nano and micro requirements. And that's, uh, we just talked about, you know, testers and such. And even the flying probers, I mean, they, there's no question the flying probers can do it. Uh, they can get down into those tighter spacings, but the problem is, is the volume. So unless, you know, you want a fleet of 20 or 30 flying probes uh, to try to stay up with the volume, uh, which is not cost-effective either with automation even, and, 
you have to remember that some of these really high reliability markets, aerospace, medical, and stuff like that, flying probe might not even be the option at all. They may require the parametric uh, test. Yeah, so we I even I even heard around uh, the market that some people are thinking about putting silicone inside the PCB itself. So burying a piece of uh, silicone inside the PCB, one of the layers, and wire bonding to the traces inside the board. You know, I don't see that as being out of the realm of possibility. I don't see why they couldn't put a cavity and put a microprocessor in the board and wire bond to it. That's, I totally see that coming in the future. Yeah, as long as we could manage, manage it thermally, Terminally, uh, it would work out uh, not bad. Yeah, that's it. That'd be the it's the heat dissipation problem, right? So moving forward, uh, you know, we're micro and upcoming nanoelectronics are the way of the wave of the future, and that uh, they're here to stay. So we got to take take a bite out of that and adapt and move forward. North American and Europe markets, you know, we do have to evolve to challenge the Asia manufacturers. They've got they've had a jump on us for 20 years and uh, right now we need to get some of that commercial work back. I mean, we're not going to probably get it all back, but we could definitely get some of that commercial work back if we can compete both uh, with technology and monetarily. Uh, we got to change the mindset from quick money prototyping and return to good margin consumer volume. And what I mean by that is just like uh, I had just said, we need to think about bringing in the higher volume rather than swinging for the fence on the prototypes. You can actually make money on the volume too because you got less setup time, less setups, you run the lines a lot longer, and you stabilize your quality in the process. Um, that's one of the main things that commercial shops way back in the day had outstanding quality because they'd fine-tune their lines and they'd run thousands and thousands of boards and you know your your defect rate was extremely low and that's always been a challenge for the markets when you have high turnover on setups you run into quality problems and such like that uh, we want to automate automate those repetitive tasks and reduce your labor health costs and use your best minds where they're needed more rather than doing mundane tasks or mundane tasks and hurting themselves and we want to push ahead of the technology and not let the technology pass us. So that's that's one of my moving forwards. Do you have any more? And Todd, the interesting part is how is AI going to fit into all this? Because it, from the way I see it, there is some process controls that would benefit a lot from having um, artificial intelligence in there with a lot more sensors in various processes throughout the plants it doesn't have to just be pcb it could be just any plant itself but the that market is evolving and you see it across even in pcb board design you see a lot of uh, companies out there developing ai for uh, pcb design i don't know what's going to come out of that you get more you get more thinking power in in this process and maybe they come up with some slicker designs for a printed circuit board rather than Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I think it's actually uh, a, a pretty strong moving forward, the AI technology and circuit boards. And then 
and you see it actually in other industries where they're doing it in graphic design and and a lot of other modeling and prototyping for you know building and street layouts and community uh what do they call it urban growth and all that they do all kinds of modeling with this ai stuff that i've seen and so i see that in in our industry as well it's uh you know instead of redefining or redoing these tasks all the time you know you let some artificial intelligence make real educated guesses on some of the things that you do and i agree yeah it's very exciting the path forward is very exciting for the pcb industry it is pretty, excited too. Yeah, it's pretty excited to be in this right now, especially when we, you know, we're way back in the beginning when circuit boards were still pin and hole and double sided, and some were even hand layup and things like that. To where we are today, I mean, the advancements are amazing. Just like our, you know, parents and grandparents went from the horse and buggy to seeing uh, Apollo, you know, land on the moon in their lifetime, and I think we've even accelerated faster than that. I think that wraps it up for us, folks. Um, once again, thank you for stopping by and having a listen to our latest podcast. I know we've been a little tardy here. We're trying to get ourselves back on, on track and keep some information coming out. Any closing comments for you, Rick? Todd, just, just keep pushing forward. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of technology changes. I know we're we're getting older. Everyone's <laughs> getting older, but... We need to educate some younger younger forces to maintain this in, uh, industry and push us forward into whatever the, the next beginning will be for the printed circuit board. Absolutely, and I agree. And that That's what we're here for. I mean, we supply services to the PCB industry and, and equipment as well, but, you know, we also are a knowledge base as well. So if you want to... Have some questions, you can contact us at info at guardian.com. And uh, you can visit our website at www.guardian.com. We have a nice knowledge base of a lot of things there regarding electrical, electrical tests. And we have, you know, our equipment lines that you can look at. And, of course, you can always get in touch with us and ask us personally if you've got questions. So on behalf of Rick Murat and myself, Todd Coleman, and the Guardian Group, we really enjoyed having you here. We hope to see you next time on another Guardian podcast.